This is the Centerpoint Church Podcast, and I'm so thankful we get to spend some time together. My name's Jason, and we are approaching this Halloween season, so I thought it would probably be appropriate for us to start this collection called Scary Stories. There's a lot of weird, creepy, and sometimes freaky things in the Bible, and I want us to look at them each week. So let's jump right into the message. And I want to welcome you if you're watching online, if you're tuning in in any way via our social media outlets, podcast. Anyway, we are thankful that you're here and that you're a part of this community. We are in week three of four of this collection called Scary Stories. And today's subtitle is The Day Uzzah Died. Now that just sounds a little ominous right there. So if you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, The Day Uzzah Died died. I'm going to let the Word of God kind of set the table for us today, and then we're going to spend the next who knows how long kind of unpacking this and going on this journey together. So we're going to be in 2 Samuel, and we're in chapter 6, and we have it up on the screen if you need it. When when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took a hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. The day Uzzah died. Now, on the surface, that seems a little unfair. It seems like maybe you caught God on a bad day. And he was kind of grumpy, or maybe he's going through a season where he's a bit of a curmudgeon, and all of a sudden this dude named Uzzah was just trying to help, and God struck him dead. And on the surface, it kind of seems like that's reality, but oh, church, the danger of just reading one or two verses without no context, without any context whatsoever. And so let's just, that's right kind of in the middle of the action, so let's, let's pull this back a little bit. And, and what we have to understand is a few things. The first thing we have to understand is what is the ark? Because really all that Uzzah did is the ark was falling. It was about to hit the ground. He stops it and God strikes him dead. So what is the ark of the covenant? I'm so glad that you asked. The Ark of the Covenant is this gold box. It's actually got two different layers. It's layered of gold on the inside and on the outside. There's a chance we might have a picture of it. Yes, we do. And so this is the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark were three things. You will write these three things down. One, there was a copy of the Ten Commandments. There was Aaron's staff that budded. And then there was a golden jar of manna, or the food that fell down. Now, this is a total side note. This is not even in my notes. This is free. We don't know where the Ark of the Covenant is anymore right now. We have no idea. There's actually a random, not random, there's actually pretty good evidence that it might be in this random church in Ethiopia with one monk who's ever been in the room with it at one time, but we don't actually know. And a lot of people think that God destroyed the Ark of the Covenant or purposely is hiding it because we don't need the Ark of the Covenant anymore. And whenever you happen to have items or artifacts of the Old Covenant, people go to that and they worship that artifact instead of the living Savior who now is inside of you. And so we don't really know that is interesting. But the Ark of the Covenant was important because keep in mind, this is the Old Covenant. And so this is how God would be amongst his people. It used to be in the temple, in particular in the Holy of Holies, and the high priest would go in there and see the Ark of the Covenant. But at the time, they now are moving the Ark of the Covenant around. And you want the Ark of the Covenant in your camp. Why? Because that's where the presence of God was. 
Now, I don't know about you, but wherever I am, that's where I want the presence of God. So having the Ark of the Covenant is important. And if you look at the top, there's two cherubs, there's two angels with their wings stretched out, and this was called the mercy seat. And so what you had on the mercy seat was this, it's a great word, phrase, we need to use it more often, Shekinah glory. Oh, that sounds so good. Shekinah glory means dwelling or settling in Hebrew. And it actually is where the presence of God would come down onto the mercy seat. And so the Ark of the Covenant was so important. So that's why the Ark of the Covenant is so important. Now, who is Uzzah? Because if we want to know, why is Uzzah there? So now we know what the Ark of the Covenant is. Why is he touching the Ark of the Covenant? Well, I'm so glad that you asked. Let's go all the way back to Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and it's going to tell us God goes through such detail, almost to the point of nauseam, of how to build all of this stuff and all of the rules and the regulations. Why? Twofold. One, because God takes things serious. We preach right now, you and I in church, often about God being loving, and he is loving. But the highest character trait of God is not loving. It's actually holy. It's sanctified. It's set apart. And there's some things that are holy that God takes serious. They're not around the throne of God singing, loving, loving, loving is the Lord God Almighty. They're saying holy. And that part we don't preach in church very much. Why? Because it doesn't really fill the seats. God is loving, don't get me wrong, but that's not the highest character trait of God is that God is holy. And we're about to see throughout this story that there is some holiness that gets, that the line gets crossed and God has no choice but to act in certain ways because his character is holiness. So here we are in Numbers, Numbers 4, 1 through 3. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take a census of the Kohathites, branch of the Levites by their clans and families. Count all the men from 30 to 50 years of age who come and serve in the work at the tent of meeting. So why is that important? Because God, a long time before this, establishes that there's only certain people who are allowed to move the Ark of the Covenant. And it has to be from a certain tribe, the tribe of Levi, the Levites. And even within that certain tribe, there has to be a certain family So you have one tribe, one family, and it's the Kohathites. So we don't know for sure if Uzzah is a Kohathite, but everything points towards that he is and that his family is, and we're going to learn that because there's only particular people who are allowed to move the holy things because they're trained, because they know, because God takes some things very serious. So here's where we are now, now that we have who Uzzah is, and before that we have what is the Ark of the Covenant. I want to tell you about why the Ark of the Covenant is even being moved. And this is all leading up to the day Uzzah died. Here it is. Are you ready? The Philistines have had the Ark of the Covenant. Now that may not mean much to you, but the Philistines are like complete enemies of the people of Israel. That would be like, Jeremy, Nick Saban coming into Knoxville and kidnapping Smokey, taking him back to Tuscaloosa, that terrible place. The Philistines have the Ark of the Covenant. You want to hear something really cool, though? This is one of my favorite parts of this whole story. So they take the Ark of the Covenant, the Philistines, and they put it in their temple. Now, this is complete sacrilege, and it's on purpose. They put it in the temple of Dagon, D-A-G-O-N, Dagon. That's their god, lowercase g. 
And they put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple. And then when they come back the next day, this giant statue of Dagon has fallen over and their God is now bowing to the Ark of the Covenant. That's so cool! Gets cooler. I gotta stop doing this. This. I saw I did that in the video. It's, it's not very masculine. Neither is this outfit. Let's move on. What was I saying? Yes, I know. So, statue falls down at the Ark of the Covenant, which is cool. Then they lift it back up. And they say, ah, well, there must have been, a, you know, trembling earthquakes or, you know, something. There's no way that Jehovah is over Dagon. There's no way. And so the next night, guess what? That statue falls over again and bows. And not only that, this time its hands and its head break off of the statue, all at the Ark of the Covenant. Then... Let's hear what the rest of the ark does because the ark is in the enemy of God's possession. And there's some things that God takes serious. This is in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 5. So we're back one verse, one chapter. Listen to what's happening. The Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod and its vicinity. He brought devastation on them and afflicted them with tumors. When the people of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, the ark of God of Israel must not stay here with us because his hand is heavy on us and Dagon our God. So they called all the rulers of the Philistines and asked them, what shall we do with this ark of God, the God of Israel? And they answered, have the ark of God Israel moved to Gath? So they moved the ark the God of the God gave it to the God of the Israel, verse nine. But after they had moved it, the Lord's hand was against the city, throwing it into a great panic. He afflicted the people of the city, both young and old, with an outbreak of tumors. One translation actually says boils in their nether regions. Casey, can you write a prescription for that? You probably can. The Ark of the Covenant is so is putting these people in turmoil. It's causing them to break out in tumors. Their statue is falling over. The hand of God is against them. And without a single sword being drawn, the Philistines said, bring it back to them. Free delivery. Take it. What does that have to do with you and I? There's a huge, huge, just under, like a story right underneath the surface here. That's a side story that I think can apply to your life. You see, the entire time, the Israelites are trying to prepare for battle. They're trying to figure out how are we going to go get this Ark of the Covenant, this thing that's afflicted us for so long that we don't have. And behind the scenes, God is working all of it out. And he's got all the details taken care of. And he said, I'm going to fight this battle for you. And the answer is going to be better. Better than you ever thought. It's not going to cost you one human life. Instead, they're going to give it to you. What are you going through that you are trying to fight your own on your own strength? If you just sit back, God's saying, I'm taking care of it. Whatever it is, that's worth celebrating. Come on. But we talked last week, when you circumnavigate the process of God, you're saying you don't trust him. And the Israelites are learning firsthand, hey, God's gotten it take, God's taken care of. And not only that, the, the result is going to be better than you could ever imagine. Did you know that God wants more for you than you want for you? Did you know that? That's crazy. I've got some things that I want. I want to be used in some ways. I want to have my kids be, be powerful women of God. I want all of these things, but God wants it even more. Like you are, you set the ceiling on what God can do in your life. That's why his ways are above your ways. And thank goodness, because some of you are wearing Crocs right now. 
So now we're finally caught up to speed. We know what the Ark of the Covenant is. We know who Uzzah is. We know what Uzzah was supposed to do and not supposed to do. We know where it's been, and now it's coming back. And now we're going to be picking back up where we started, 2 Samuel chapter 6. But what's going to happen here is, is that there's a parade. And there's a huge parade. I'm sure they've got the symbols. They've got the pop, They're playing like the Notre Dame fighting Irish fight song as they're coming in. Like you've got, you know, the trumpets, the trombones, the drums. They've, they're having a parade and they're celebrating. Why? Because the presence of God is coming back into their camp. And this is going to be important. So here we are. Second Samuel 6, verse 1, we're going to be reading these first eight verses and you're going to hear right in the middle of it what we started with now that we know what's going on. David again brought together all of the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Balah in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. That's what we saw that picture of, the two angels with their wings spread on the mercy seat. Verse 3, they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab. So if you're taking notes, write down or underline new cart. That's going to be important when we come back to it. New cart to the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahiho, sons of Abinadab. So there's our Uzzah. He's with his brother and he's with his dad, most likely of the Levite tribe of the Kohathite family. Learn these things. We were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. These are all important. They're all important. David and all of Israel were celebrating with all of their might before the Lord with the, whatever the castanets are, but it's basically these types of instruments, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. I told you it was a killer marching band. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen had stumbled. Go ahead and underline the word oxen. That's also going to be important later. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. And then David's not going to take this so well. David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah. So David, no doubt, feels slightly responsible for what just happened. But also, I would imagine his arms are stretched out and he's thinking, God, why, why'd you kill him? He didn't have to kill him. You could have just put us in timeout for a little bit or something. Take, take away our cell phone for a day or two. Like, you didn't have to kill him. But again, if we just look at these verses without any context, we will misjudge the character of God. It's all about holiness. So there's two things that were majorly, majorly wrong with this. The first one is this. Remember I told you to underline cart. That's important. Because if we go all the way back to Numbers, we go all the way back to actually Exodus 25 is actually what it is. If you're a note taker, go back and read that. Exodus 25, we find that God put out the plan in place of how to transfer the holy things. And the first thing is, is that on each side there were these gold ringlets, and then there were these poles made of acacia wood. Because to actually have an animal carry something of God is an irreverent act. It's detestable. It's like, it's, it's beneath our God. 
And so God designed it from the beginning to have these ringlets and to have the acacia poles through it so that man would carry it. But they didn't, did they? They put it on a cart. Why? Two reasons, but before I get to those, the other thing is is they had the ox pull it. The Philistines actually used dairy cows, which was even more detestable. And, And so those are the two things that were wrong. So what does he have a problem with that? Why did they do that? Well, one, I think because it was a lot easier. It really is. I mean, if you're going to have to, I don't know if you know the landscape very well of this, but they don't have paved roads and it's not exactly flat. And so it's much easier to have an animal pull that than to have to carry it yourself. And like the poles, and I mean, it's, it's double lined gold, so it's going to be heavy. I've seen some of you walk in here after being in the gym on leg day, like one day. Not, not me, because I'm not stupid, but but those of you that find your physical fitness to be important. That would be hard to carry that thing that, that far. But not only that, but it's a lot easier to have the animal do it. And not only that, it's a lot easier to just put it on a cart. But that's not what God said. He laid out very specific instructions. And David and the Kohathites would have known that. Why did they do it? One, laziness, glutton of their own success, Because God had finally answered a prayer. As soon as he answered a prayer, you kind of stop praying as much. You pray to God and lean into God during the difficult times, but when you're going through the easy times, what do we all do? You and I, we're the same. We tend to skip a few Sundays, kind of not read our Bible as much. You know, my wife doesn't talk to me very nicely. I'm always respectful and nice to her, but but she, uh, (laughs) forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Uh, (laughs) but, But they got lazy. But the second thing is this, and there's a deep truth to this. Don't miss this. They tried to come up with what the church version of what the Philistines did rather than what God wanted. They did. They're like, okay, so the Philistines, those terrible human beings that were doing these irreverent acts to God, they put it on an old cart. But we're not going to do that. We're going to put it on a new nice cart. That's not what God said. So we could try to make the church approachable to the community where people will come in here that don't know God, that will feel comfortable so they can hear about God. But there's a fine line between then being irreverent and not lifting up the holiness of God and only preaching what Malachi warned us of, of preachers who only preach what people's itching ears want to hear. God didn't tell you to do that. He told you to carry it by the acacia poles. So I think they're coming up with the Philistine version of what God said. So laziness, gluttons of their own success, followed by coming up with the Philistine version. So those are two things. But what I think you see, the story of the day Uzzah died is a warning sign to us all, all these thousands of years later, because it shows you the danger of slow compromise over time and the effect it can have. I want you to, to hear about the, the first time that I shook hands with a guy who is a professional guitar player. You can't really see, but these are like moisturized, well-manicured hands. These are the hands of a man who doesn't work for a living, just Sunday mornings with a microphone. But, but I, I uh, thank you, Heather, but I shook hands with this guy who's a professional guitarist, and his hands felt like leather. There were these deep calluses all over the place. Is there any guitar players in the house? Raise your hand if you're a guitar player. There's not one person that raised their hand. 
Morgan, you played guitar this morning. I remember shaking this guy's hand. I remember thinking, this is a man's hand right here. This is a man's hand. And how do you build those calluses up from playing over time? At first it hurts, and then you don't feel it nearly as much. And those calluses build up, and it makes you kind of numb to the things that once caused you pain. And, and it's the same way with our spiritual life. Slow compromises over time, habitual sin can numb the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we don't even realize it because it's slow compromises over time. I think that COVID was a great thing because it uh, made it forced churches. I shouldn't say it was a great thing. Sorry. COVID provided some great opportunities for churches to be able to pivot and realize, hey, we've got to change the way that we've always done things. And the Easter that we were all shut down, they actually said was the most attended Easter service in the history of the world because everybody just watched online because you were at home. And so I think there are some things but that, that happened that were positive. I think God can still work in the middle of that pandemic. But I also think that it has caused some danger with families because you got used to sitting on a couch, drinking a cup of coffee, and just watching church. Oh, oh, contraire, mon frere, church isn't all about just you being a consumer. There's people walking in here that need you, that need your friendships, that need your testimony, that need you to serve. Oh, what a terrible, narrow-minded perspective to think the church is only about you. But I know that these slow compromises over time can happen. Let me tell you a story about when I was in college. Now, believe it or not, I, I have, I have uh, been to college, and I got pretty decent grades. I actually behaved. I'm one of those guys that went to college and got the degree in the years that I was supposed to be there. And I want to tell you a little bit of a story. I had this problem, by the way, this is so cool. This my grandmother gave me. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now. Don't bother telling me I'm old. This was in 1999. And my grandma, I remember I really wanted a laptop to get to college because that was right around the, the era when you needed laptops. I didn't have a cell phone. My life was better for it. But, but I needed a laptop. And instead, my grandma bought me this. And I was like, thank you, Grandma. It's so great. I swear to you, this was 20 years ago. To this day, we still use this in my house. And that laptop is in a landfill somewhere for a, like a long time. Shows you Grandma knows best. This thing right here, you boil water, and it will use electricity to boil water. Now, this is fantastic because, like, I ate top ramen like it was manna. Like, I just... To this day, like when somebody warms up a cup of noodles, I smell it, and I have PTSD from time in college. But like easy mac and cheese, I mean, you name it, I got super creative. I made oatmeal in here one time. I even boiled pasta noodles one time in here. You get creative in college. But anyways, so this is from it. And, and I remember that there was this one year, my junior year, that I was having a difficult time falling asleep. Like I could not fall asleep. I could not take my, like turn my brain off. I still kind of struggle with this a little bit, but this was really bad. And then my roommate, oh, she wasn't my roommate. He was my roommate later, but he was down the, the hallway. His name was Billy. And he said, dude, you got to take some melatonin. And I'm like, Mela what? And he's like, melatonin, it's this stuff that you take, and it just kind of naturally makes you fall asleep. And I was like, give me this magical, like, is it coming in a Flintstone vitamin type of a, a tablet or... or or is it gummy? Is it chewy? Is, you know, I'll take it. And he just gave me melatonin. And so I started taking melatonin. And it did the trick for a couple of days. And then what do I do? I start taking 
two melatonin and three melatonin. I remember when Billy came in and I'd gone through a half a bottle in about three days and he's like, have you ever thought of taking something stronger? Tylenol PM. Tylenol PM. So I did what anybody would do. I took three melatonin and one Tylenol PM. You wouldn't do that? No, because you're rational. But I was in college. So three melatonin, one Tylenol PM, and I slept great for a couple of days. And I didn't really want to go to start taking two, because I know that's what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, he's going to end up. No, not yet. I found out about this thing called sleepy time tea. It has, I, don't, I should have brought a box. It's got a picture of a bear, like, in pajamas. Kind of looks like my outfit right now, actually. And he's got one of those, like, sleep caps on that I don't know if anybody has ever actually worn before, but there's pictures of people wearing it, like Willy Wonka. And it's a sleep cap. And uh, why did I say Willy Wonka? Sleep cap. And, and it's sleepy time tea. And, and, and I even came up with a song as I was taking this miraculous thing. And I would sing, sleepy time tea time, sleepy time tea time, sleepy time tea. You laugh, but it was like 3 a.m. I was tired. So... Three melatonin, one Tylenol PM, and some sleepy time, tea time. By the way, this is a mug that Jen Hines bought me when I, right before I got here, and it says, be careful or you will end up in my sermon. <laughs> if you've ever been friends with a preacher, you know that's true. I can hear my kids saying amen. So I would drink this sleepy time, tea time, and it worked. But the problem is, is that I would drink this right before I go to bed, and then like two hours later, I'd have to get up and tinkle. Ugh. Urinate, use the restroom. Tinkle. <laughs> again, not very masculine. And then I'd be up again. So, three melatonin, one Tylenol PM, sleepy time, tea time, followed by additional Tylenol PMs. And I think you get the point now, but basically, honestly, what happened is I came home on Christmas break and I remember my parents telling me, like, there's an issue here. You can't even take a nap unless you've had sleepy time, tea time, three melatonin, and three Tylenol PMs. And sometimes I still couldn't even fall asleep. What happened? This goes along with the guitar player's hands. This goes along with what happened with Uza. Is slow compromises over time changes your habits. And it doesn't make you a bad person. It actually makes you a very normal person. But you and I weren't called for a normal life. We were called to be sanctified to be holy, to be set apart. And I think what happens here is, is that David lear learns a very, very important lesson that day. And he goes through the stages of grief, and finally he ends up coming to a time where he makes a sacrifice to God and says, all right, I trust you. But slow compromises over time can affect your lifestyle. Think about the things the very f that are on television now that are very normal the very first time that you saw it on TV. It shocked you. And you thought, I cannot believe that they put this on network television. And then the next time that you see it, it doesn't shock you as, as much. And then you, you know, because you have DVR now, like you, you skip forward on that part or you maybe fast forward through that episode, like I've had kids, students tell me that, oh, I watched this show, but don't worry, I fast forward through the bad parts. And I'm like, how do you know where the bad parts are? 
uh, bye. But then we do that. And then what happens is, is we fast forward through some of those parts. And, and then what happens is we just watch them, but we're not happy about it. And then after a while, what slowly happens is, is we've not only accepted it, but we are endorsing it by television ratings, by our money. And the things that once shocked us are now just a part of our life. And why is this important? You may be godly enough to handle that. You might but you are raising your children in an environment where that is their norm. So when they grow up and see those things, it's not going to shock them anymore because that's what they grew up in. We just watch this in our house. Slow compromise over time. But don't worry. Don't worry. We're going to see something amazing in Scripture with the, the day that Uzzah died. God is going to reveal something, I think, to you, if you have ears to hear it, that we can apply to our lives now because you're like, I'm not going to touch the Ark of the Covenant. Okay. If you did touch the Ark of the Covenant, it was punishable by death immediately. In fact, if the veil fell off of it, anyone who laid eyes on it is punishable by death immediately. So in the middle of this entire party, we have this Ark fall all because they didn't follow what God told them to do they got lackadaisical on their relationship with God and the things God said were holy. It's being pulled by an ox. It's on a cart and you touched it. Now, if God didn't kill Uzzah that day, then God would be one of those parents and you know some people, don't say their names, who raised their children and they say, you better stop. I'm going to take that away. You better stop. You're going to be grounded. You better stop. You're going to blah, blah, blah. You better stop. You're going to blah, blah, blah. And their kids have no respect for it because their words mean nothing. Now, you're guilty of it too. When you're driving, you're like, I'm going to turn this car around. You know you're not going to turn that car around. You already prepaid for the hotel and you're hungry. You're not going to turn that car around. But I won't tell your kids that. You're going to turn this car around. I'm going to pull over and spank you on the side of the road. No, you're not. <laughs> but but a God had these things that were in place. And because of his character, he is the ancient of days. He is unchanging. And when man crossed that border, God, because of his holiness, because of his character, because of who he is, had no choice but to issue the punishment. And next week, we're going to talk about this even more because next week, the entire sermon is going to be about hell. But it'll end with good news. But God has to do those things because if he didn't, he would be against his own character and he's holy. Please, come on, celebrate God. But all of those people that were innocent that just happened to look and see the Ark of the Covenant unveiled received grace. Received grace. Why? Because they weren't a part of all of the different compromises of somebody else. And God isn't going to hold against you the sins of someone else. There is grace. Now, if, if you were, were approaching the runway, if you spend any time around me or listen to any, any time I preach, most times, 
you're going to see that one of the things that I absolutely love to do is to find echoes in Scripture. I love it. I think that you and I, when we read the Bible, we think a book, we think a chapter, we think a verse. But God, when he's, when he's inspiring through the Holy Spirit these men to write his living word of God, he's looking at it from Genesis to Revelation. So he's putting this, this uh, story together, and it's complete. And, and I think that everything is pushing in the Old Testament towards Jesus. You're going to find out, I'm a Jesus guy. I think Jesus changes everything, and I think that everything in the Old Testament is pushing, uh, showing us, pushing towards Jesus, showing us that man cannot possibly live up to the standards of a holy God, therefore he sent Jesus. And I think that even in this story, we can see Jesus. You want to see it? You want to see it? That's not rhetorical. You want to see it? We're going to go to Dr. Luke's gospel. This is where we'll end our time today. Luke chapter 8 Verse 43, this is the story of the woman with the issue of blood. This is the story of a woman who received healing. And you may have heard this story dozens of times, but here's my challenge to you. My challenge to you is to lean into the living word of God that can speak to you in different ways during different seasons. And I want you to now look at this story through the lens of the day Uzzah died. And we're going to see an echo throughout scripture of God writing an amazing story of grace and how he brought man back into a relationship with him. Chapter 8. And the woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. How many years? It's a fascinating story. Anytime you see the number 12 in Scripture, it almost always refers to man or woe man. How many disciples were there? How many tribes were there? This woman had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up from behind him to Jesus and touched, underline that word, touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. And here's Peter in a sarcastic, very Peter answer. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. I can hear him be like, is that a serious question? Like, there's people all over. That's not what Jesus was talking about. Verse 46. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him, and she had instantly be healed, been healed. Then he said to her, daughter. It's the first time in Scripture that God addresses a woman as daughter. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. How is this an echo? Because thousands of years later, before Jesus got here, Uzzah touches the Ark of the Covenant, and because he touched a sacred holy thing, he received judgment, condemnation, and death. Because of sin, man was eternally separated from a holy God. Sin could not touch a holy God physically. You could not even be in the presence of it. But here we are later. Because of Jesus, the woman now touches the Son of God. Rather than an ark, she touches the hem of the Son of God. And rather than receiving punishment and judgment, she receives healing.
Don't you read that story and don't tell me that Jesus changes, doesn't change everything. Jesus changed it all. Jesus changed you and I so that we now can have access to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, to the Ancient of Days, to the Alpha and the Omega, to the beginning and the end, to Jeho Jehovah Jireh, to Shekinah glory, that you can have that Holy Spirit inside of you are the tabernacle. There's no need for the ark, no need for the Holy of Holies. The veil has been torn for what Jesus did on the cross. And Jesus now gives you and I access. The day Uzzah died can teach us not only the danger of slow compromise over time, but it can also show us the importance and the power of what Jesus did on the cross. Because if you minimize what Jesus did on the cross, you minimize what God paid, the price he paid for you to have access to him. Oh, the day Uzzah died is still important in our lives today. And what we're going to do just to end our time today, and we don't do this all the time, but we do do it from time to time, is to provide you an opportunity, whether you're online, whether you're listening, whether you're here physically, for us to say a prayer to God saying, Jesus, I give you my heart. I want to have access to God, but it's impossible unless you've given your life to him. It's impossible. You will not be able to enter the presence of God. But it's literally as simple as saying, I do. And there's a little bit of a journey after that. No more than a marriage starts by saying, I do. And then it's a journey together. But it has to start with that. And if you've said that prayer a thousand times, we're still going to say it together as a family. If you feel comfortable, consider renewing your vows. It's a prayer that never gets old. Would you stand with me? And let's say this prayer together. And I encourage you, if it's your first time ever saying this prayer, or if it's a rededication of any kind, don't leave without saying something. You can write it down on the Connect card and drop it in the box in the lobby. I want to personally reach out to you. If you're watching online, send us a message. Send us a direct message. Send us an email. Go to our website. Click Contact Us. We want to be a part of that journey with you. Would you repeat after me? Dear Lord, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross. I believe he rose from the grave. Today I give you my heart. I ask you to be my Lord, to be my Savior. I want to be a child of God. Again, if you're in this room, we're not going to parade you up on stage. We're not going to take pictures of you and put you on our social media. But I do want to have a conversation with you. So if you would fill out that Connect card, drop that off in the box before you leave, or if you see me, talk to me. Send us a message. We want to be a part of that journey. And all God's people said, amen. We really enjoyed spending some time with you today. If this message impacted you in any way, let us know. We want to hear your story. You can contact us at centerpointtn.com. We can't wait to hear from you.